Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. What's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. Look, we're your hosts. This is the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about the faith of the next generation and reaching young adults in our world today. Hey, if you like love, if you love love, if you are passionate about singleness or dating or relationship, I think you're going to love today's episode. We drop new episodes every Monday designed to help you you know, start your week off strong and strengthen your life and your leadership. We're joined today by our guest, Christian Bevere. Welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I'm so glad that you've connected with my husband already and you know how to say our last name. I don't have to feel <laughs> awkward about you saying it wrong. It's amazing. Is it um, is it hard for some people? It, you know, we hear a lot of different things. Often it's Beverly or Beaver. You know, and then I'm, and they're I'm not Christian, a true fan, so it's right. Like, if they have never, yeah, it's just, <laughs> I, you know, give grace, right? That's all we can do. Sure. Uh, That's funny for me to hear you say that because I grew up at a church where I guess your in-laws preached every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's a common name to me now. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> do you so guys funny. get that with your last name? Yeah, well, yes. It's I say Kennedy. Are you are you yeah. related to JFK? It's well, I say <laughs> Kennedy, but I'm like it's. Keneally, Keneally. Oh, even when we started dating, it's a funny side note, even before we introduced her, I'm so sorry. But I started dating Josiah and I was like, okay, his name's Keneally, Keneally, Keneally. And I listened to his voice and I was like, hey, it's Josiah Keneally. I'm like, do I say your name wrong or do you pronounce it two different ways? Or have I not known who I'm dating? Because that could be my future last, last name. I should probably know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so what we just great lead say- into our conversation. <laughs> Keneally, Keneally. No, dating. Potato, potato. Oh my gosh. Well, if you do not know Christian Bavere, she is um, just an amazing person, an amazing author thus far, even just the short amount of time that we've been able to just visit with her before hitting record. And she's passionate about seeing women discover their identity in Christ. Amen. Come on, somebody. And she's a firm believer in God's redemption story, shares the power of truth and practical applications through her books, podcasts, online platforms, and teachings. She's also the wife of Arden Bevere and mother of her wonderful children. Child. We used to have one, right? Azariah. At this recording, you know, open to more. (laughs) Uh, Open to more. I love that. And she just released a newer book to the dating world, to the breakup world. And check this out, you guys. Break up with what broke you. Come on. And it's how God just redeems everybody's story. And we are so honored and privileged to have her on the podcast today. First and foremost, not because she only believes in women and wants to see them live for Christ, but her being a woman herself, wanting to raise the bar in so many different ways of saying like, this is what God's done in my life and he can do it in your life too. So Christian, do you just want to kick it off right now? Just give us a brief recap of your story, life journey, where you got to where you are today and what God's been like teaching you in that process. Yeah, I'll give the Sparkman's version to Christian Bevere 2023. I am really excited that we are hosting young adult pastors, young adults themselves, people that might just have said yes to Christ, people that have been following Christ for a long time, because in so many ways, I resonate with the mindsets and I think the heart postures with all of those people of like, I I love Jesus and I want to be my best self for him, but I have stuff in my past or I just have stuff that's like in my mentality and it's coming between my relationship with God. And 
in tune with that, my relationships with other people. And I don't know how to get unstuck out of this, these habits, right? Or I want this for the people that I know or the people that I lead, but like, how do you practically walk through that with someone? This book that I wrote actually is a little synopsis of my mentality and my way of thinking growing up in the church, knowing who Christ was, but not fully allowing myself to that relationship because of, you know, in younger years, just this, this fear of messing up and not doing it to the standard. I'm a firstborn raised by two firstborns. And so like the, the mantle is so high in my mind of just serving people well, doing your best, you know, getting all A's, being the store athlete. Like I just thought anything I did, I had to do well. And if there was tension inside myself or a lack of results, it was just this catastrophe in my mind of how I saw myself and in tune, how I showed up, how I related to other people. And that came into my faith as well. When I came to college and started having my own real romantic relationships and just striving in my own effort. And I think anytime you're in any camp, whether it's relationships, your career, anything of that matter, and you feel like you have to strive so much and all the weights on your own shoulders, there's just a point where you're going to have a crumbling effect and it will lead to a breaking because, you know, it says in the word that the crisis yoke is easy, but when we take it upon ourselves, like we are putting ourselves in the seat that we're not meant to drive. We are uh, not walking in his blessing and in the ease of how he leads us. So um, that's just, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm handling this all. You might be, but you don't have to, right? Like, let's not mm-hmm. wait until everything is broken down to think, okay, God, I really want to journey with you and ask you, is there anything in my past? Is there anything in my heart that, that you want to heal so we can keep going further, faster, stronger? I feel like that's a mission impossible thing. Or Tom Cruise said it like don't, further, don't, faster. Don't, is that right? Just you. Yeah. So that's a little bit about me. Just, I got to this point in college where I'm sitting or after I graduated, I'm sitting at home, you know, all my friends are getting married, they're getting their dream jobs. And I just feel like, God, did I miss where you were leading me? Like, how do I get to the next spot? And felt like God hit me in a moment to say, Hey, instead of, you know, trying to get everything on our five-year plan and trying to prove you're who you want to be, let's actually heal some of the things that have attached your identity that I did not write. And, and let's rewrite those and let me show you what redemption looks like. So you can love yourself, you can love others, and you can actually walk into the things that you want and I desire for you. But it, it takes a, a moment to say, I'm going to break up with everything that's not serving me. I'm going to break up yes. with everything that is not God's best. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to strive, but I'm going to walk in redemption. And it's a humbling and empowering process, but it, we have to be willing to say, okay, maybe I've been broken. Maybe I can't do this all on my own. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. So good. It's not easy at all because I think adulting is this season of life where you're going places, but sometimes you don't always know where you're going. Final (laughs) destination for sure. But I think at the same time too, it's either going to be a journey that you look back on and smile about with fond memories, or it's going to be one Mm -hmm. of those seasons that you just tolerated at best and kind of buckled up. And I, I just think that mm-hmm. the the journey of young adulthood, the journey of, of life, at least our hope is that you'd thrive. Um, yeah. and, and that's going to be, we're going to unpack more of this, especially leaning into relationships. But why do you think that season of life, Christian, why is young adult ministry? Why is um, 
ministering to people in in their 20s. Maybe they're single. Why is that so important? Because I think that we've believed a lie for so long um, in the church that marriage is elevated and singleness is a, a lesser, and that's just a complete fallacy. Mm-hmm. But but why do you think that this single young adult season of life is so important? Mm. It's so important because you're, you know, childhood, you're forming who you're going to be in one sphere, but this season, you're also forming who you're going to be. And it, I even say, who you're going to be to other people. Like what kind of wife are you going to be one day? What kind of mother, what kind of leader that starts with um, a singular identity that transforms into multifaceted, multi-generational legacy. And that starts with healthy individuals. It requires um, a firm foundation of who I am. And I read something, I've done some research on shame since writing my book because it was very much a memoir of, okay, well, this is what God showed me. And this was this healing journey. And now I'm wondering, okay, is that, is that actually just what you did in my life? Or is that scientific? Like, did I write something that's just (laughs) true to me? Or is there actual, you know, psychological grounding? And I've seen even how, um, when you're a, a young woman, or even a young teenager, the things that you go through, the way that you process, um, the experiences you have that actually stores into your DNA and will pass down to your children. And I don't say that to scare anyone, especially the one that's thinking, well, gosh, I have messed up. I feel so much shame around my identity. The power is as we learn to identify those things, as we learn to cope with them, as we learn to receive God's healing, we pass that down as well. So the idea that, well, I'm just single, I don't have purpose yet when I become a wife or become a mom or for the guys listening, when I become that leader in charge, then I'll have value. No, you have value right now and it only escalates. So what you're stewarding and bringing and forming in this season is what you'll carry into the next season. And just even talking about this, I picture um, when they are taking the promised land and I keep wanting to say Joseph. Um, how the mantle passed down from Moses and it continues this generation of the people that were serving him were learning how to lead based on his example. So even when you're not in the seat of position yet, even when you're just learning under someone, you're getting ready to be a leader. So start walking in the mantle that you're preparing for and not just when you have it placed in front of you. I think that's so good. I think so many times we we want to skip the chapter, right? Yes, we just want to, we just want to skip the chapter. We want to hit fast forward and we don't really realize like, oh my gosh, like everything that's happening is, I believe happens for a reason is what we do with the story, whether we took the pen and paper and we started writing our own story and we've kind of set God to the side or we've kind of forgotten about the calling. We've kind of just accepted, you know, well, this is who I am. And it's like, well, if that's who you are, then you're choosing to be someone that God's not created you to be like, do you want to become instead of just sit idle in in just, you know, your own decisions and stuff like that. And really realizing that we all have the opportunity to lean into the redemption side. And when it comes to singleness and redemption and relationships, um, I would just be curious, can you start by just sharing some encouragement and hope with a listener who just maybe went through a breakup and maybe they're in a season where, they're kind of just stiff arming God. They're like, I thought I was going to marry this person. I thought they truly loved me. I could see myself with them and they may feel that rejection, but the tr- the truth is like they're, they're stiff arming God in the process. Like how would you encourage somebody who's just walked through some form of heartbreak or rejection in the dating world? Yeah. Uh, I feel so passionate about next generation ministry and all these things, but for whatever reason, relationships is something that just 
it like word vomits. I have to talk about it. And I think it's because I have this awareness of either through my own experiences or through my friends, knowing how deep these wounds can feel. So if you've gone through a breakup, I would say first, let yourself mourn what you thought could have been. Cause if you just bury things down, essentially they're becoming seeds. So they're going to uproot at some point. You don't want that to be mm-hmm. when you are married one day and your partner doesn't take out the trash and it unloads like, well, you let me down. And I don't know why I'm so mad about this, but I just, I need to leave. And he's like, I just, I forgot to take the trash out for five minutes, but there's really this root of disappointment stemming mm-hmm. address what we feel um, here and now. So if you've gone through a heartbreak, mourn it. Don't be afraid to go to God and say, I really thought this guy was the one, like, why wouldn't this work out? Or if you don't have the why yet, like, Lord, show me what is missing that you want to steward. I mean, I had dated someone in college that was an amazing guy. I didn't marry him. And I think that was very intentional because I would say, I I love my husband and, and we're walking in a purpose, but that guy was a great guy. What happened if I would have forced that or just said, okay, well, there's this Christian guy and I feel like he's the very last one and there's an expiration date on my, you know, all the things we tell mm-hmm. ourselves in the moment, right? right? And just force something instead of trusting and believing, even if it's a few months later, God's going to align you to the person that he has equipped you with. And I think there's so much more specifics and intentionality with who God pairs us with rather than just, well, they go to church and they're attractive and they're here right now. We're boasting all this time. So we got to make it work. There's this angst within relationships that I can only, I can only imagine how that feels, especially post COVID world and dating. And to the listener that is saying, I'm in my thirties, there's not much left in front of me. I think we need to also just flip it with another question. Like, well, what's at risk if we do settle? What's at risk if we are forcing this and we are convincing ourselves this is the one, but then when times get tough, we don't have a, a peace or a conviction to rest on. It's it's much more troublesome and tumultuous down the road than than anything we can feel right now. So having that in our hearts of, okay, my my heart is broken. God, I'm a little frustrated that I dated this person for a year and it leads to this. But I'm going to process that so I don't hold on to it in my future relationship or it doesn't lead me to make the wrong decision. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so good, Christian. You know, it's so easy, I think, to to buy into lies or to have wrong thinking. Um, examples that I think you just touched on would be I'm falling behind. Mm-hmm. Of, I, I thought I would have been further than this right here or I think that there's just so many lies that maybe there's something wrong with me or um, just different, different whispers or lies from our own head, maybe from the enemy, from the world. Um, It could even be from the church where somebody asks something that's, it's a stupid question where they're like, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you still single? Or are you too picky? I was told that. Oh yeah. Like you're too picky, Micah. And I was like, I get in their face. I'm not getting in their face. I got pretty close to this older gentleman. I go, listen, I'm not picky. I'm particular because if I'm choosing to live with somebody, mm-hmm. share my life with them and have them be my best friend and my spouse, you bet I'm going to be particular in my prayer life and who I choose and who chooses mm-hmm. me or who I let choose me because I don't want to choose like hell on earth. Mm-hmm. I think so many people settle and they wonder like, how do I get out of this relationship? How do I get out of this marriage? And it's like, you chose this covenant with this person and you better honor it. If mm-hmm. you truly want to live close to the heart of Christ, you know, and, and look in the mirror, what do we need to work on as 
individuals and take a personal inventory when we make the other person out to be the <laughs> the bad guy who doesn't take out the trash or the <laughs> whatever, you know? <laughs> well, I'm reminded of love, right? Because we're talking about relationships. And one of the quotes from, um, I think it was Timothy Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, mm-hmm. he said something to the effect of to be uh, loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. Mm-hmm. To be known and not loved is all of our greatest fears, but to be fully known and truly loved is well, a lot like being loved by God. It is where we, it is what we need more than anything. And he, he goes on to say, it liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and That's fortifies good. us for any difficulty that life can be, life can throw at us. And I think that when we talk about relationships, it is relating to God and then relating to people in a way that God, the gospel message is that God sees us as we are, mm-hmm. not as cleaned up or as we wish we were or how we present ourselves to be. God sees us as we are and he still loves us. So we're mm-hmm. fully known, we're fully loved. And I'd just be curious, understanding that, what do you maybe wish that you would have known about marriage while you were still single Christian. That fighting is okay. Even going off that context, when I couldn't fully love myself or when I would make a mistake and I feel like I had to hide or fix it before anyone saw, that doesn't work in marriage. You guys know that. You can't just run and hide from your spouse when you did something wrong. You have to actually confront that. And sometimes there is tension. I grew up thinking if you fight, that means you have the bad marriage and everything's okay. That means you have the good marriage. But if you're not working things out and you're putting on a pretty face, there's a lot more hurt going on than if you um, take the time to do conflict well. And fighting doesn't have to be screaming at each other or pointing fingers, but knowing, okay, we are going to attack the issues that's hurting us from like we like to say from both sides of the table and addressing the issue together. But sometimes that takes you know, not seeing eye to eye, working it out, figuring out what is causing tension or or triggering you. That's a new word now, but, um, yeah, fighting's okay. You need conflict to do stuff well. And there's a verse about blessed are the, um, the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers, not the people that just slap a a bandaid on it and say, it's okay. But the people that are actually going to say, how do we find peace here? And what does that look like? But because that first year of marriage, you are learning how to do conflict with that person. You're learning how to live with that person. You're coming from two different worlds, two different backgrounds. You need to take the time to say, I'm committed to actually figuring out what our, our marriage looks like, mm-hmm. even if it does cause conflict sometimes. Well, what I, Italians, but I, I feel like it's even more inevitable for me. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember this from our first year of marriage. We're about six, six and a half years in, but I remember this in our first year of marriage, Christian, that. I learned that false harmony is essentially pretending the problem isn't there, doesn't make it go away. Mm-hmm. It actually festers and it, yeah. it be like a, a microorganism that that multiplies and mm-hmm. it gets worse over time. Like, yeah. but what you're saying is the willingness to attack not the person but the problem together. Yeah, that is unity and that is togetherness and and. I mean, there's going to be some conflict. It's inevitable. Well, I think like you said, like conflict is good, but then also slapping on there, like conflict resolution, because I think Mm -hmm. when we look at each other as not the problem, but as, you know, a problem solver together, because the enemy hates marriage, period. 
but the enemy hates Christian marriage even more. And if the enemy can go after anything and pick anybody off, he's going to go after the marriages, which impact the children, which impact the household, which impact the future, the tree of their family. And I think when we recognize and realize we can call the enemy out, not each other out, but truly the enemy trying to weasel his way in between marriages, I think we can really say like, hey, we were on the same team. We're wearing the same jersey, but we're not seeing eye to eye. Like we're on the wrong play. We're looking at the wrong playbook right now. So let's get on the right route and not be a ball hog or not, you know, whatever you want to say. And I think when we do that, I think, wow, you get to do life with your best friend. You get to do life with something that you enjoy. You get to do life with, you know, the gift that God has given you that you've been praying for and wanting in your whole singleness, Mm -hmm. you prayed for it. You got it. You want it. And then all of a sudden, what do you do with it now that it's here? Mm-hmm. Don't let it be the new stomping ground uh, and the dumping ground of all your emotions. So I would even, this is off script, but uh, I would say, what are a couple of key factors that you have been able to implement in your marriage that are, I don't know, pleasing and honoring to God and just bring, you know, that God's smiling down on you. Like he, it brings joy to the Lord. Like, what have you been finding out about marriage? Cause how long have you been married now? You guys, um, five years in, in a few weeks. Five years in a few weeks. I would get the anniversary gifts there. <laughs> yes. So I'm um, curious, like, what would you encourage a listener with who's maybe in their first five years of marriage? Like, here are a couple of things that we've done that have really worked well for us. You know, when it comes to not even fighting or conflict, but just maybe everyday living. Mm. You know, there are a few we things that I could say, but even in the sense of the two becoming one, I feel like mostly at least how God strengthens us is still when he strengthens us individually. And it's almost like he does this work deposits into us and we're like, Oh, okay. We're feeling the synergy. Like God's doing the same thing in us at the same time. Uh, I kind of thought, Oh, we'd get married and we pray together and we'd hold hands and we share the bed and it's we, 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 but there's still this individual element. I think that only edifies the the call to have that relationship with Christ first in your singleness. So you can become that cord of three strands analogy of like you, your, your spouse and God interwoven and working together. But I feel like God will often speak to me. Um, and sometimes it feels, you know, just how you're talking about, like, I want to be understood and, and I want to understand them. That's often I've seen at least comes through the most sharply when it's through a moment of uncomfortableness for myself. Um, I think in that first year or going into second year of marriage, we were talking a lot about like where we would live. We lived in Colorado for three years. And when we were engaged, it was one of those things where you're like, okay, we're going through all the books. And it's like, well, where do we see ourselves living? What are our goals? He lived in Colorado at the time. He's like, can we live in Colorado? I was like, yeah, like three to five years, year three. I was like, Hey bud. So um, remember when I said three to five years, it's kind of coming on the former part. And I just, you know, this doesn't feel like it for me. And he was like, well, God has a call us somewhere else. I was like, yeah, but he's, he made me this way. And I don't feel like I'm made for here. So like, <laughs> what do we do? Um, and it was very much a trusting process where I could see so clearly, okay, God, you have this, this um, conviction in my husband that until you say, move. He's not going to move where I feel like maybe we're on the cusp of something, but I don't have the answers. And I so wanted to be understood of like, okay, you don't feel comfortable here. Oh, my love, my wife, my, my person, what do we do to fix that? Where do you want to go? But that's not who he is. And that's not what I needed. 
So in my desire to be understood and, and served and uh, wanting to be somewhere else, I was like, okay, God, I just have to, to pray to you. And I have to trust that when the timing and the space is known, that you will make that known to my husband too. This we situation is you working in us and bringing us together, not us just figuring it out or like one person says and we go, but like this, this peace and patience with each other and trusting God to be the glue in your marriage. And it's just, it's such a neat story because we live in Tennessee now, but it took about a year for God to deposit that into my husband and about within the same week of him speaking that to Arden and it resonating with me as well. He spoke it to the, almost the entire family. So not only did what he was putting in me beforehand that I didn't quite have the articulation for, it wasn't actually time work out to where we have this peace and we move together, but it brought his whole family too. So even better than I could have imagined, but it was a humbling in me of God saying, do you trust me to do this for you? But do you also trust me to speak to your husband? And I was like, yes, I do. Like, I'll pray for you to speak to him. But you know, self, sometimes we're like, I just want you to tell me. And I just want it to be thus saith the Lord and we do it. But, um, I'm, I'm going on a rabbit hole with your question here, but but I think um, I've seen where God shines down and, and has that peace moment and I really since, okay, God, you are in our marriage and you're working mm-hmm. are the moments when he tells me to do something that seems hard, seems opposite of my feelings. There's been so, not so many times like we fight often, but in the times of us having conflict of God just saying, why don't you stop trying to prove your point? Why don't you listen to him? Why don't you pause and pray for him? I'm like, that's not what I want to do. I want to tell him why he's wrong and why I'm right. <laughs> But those are the moments that I see something shift in where I didn't feel understood. Arden feels like he can let his guard down or we can find the the missing piece. So I think some of the best advice for keeping God at the forefront of your marriage is keeping him in the moments that you're, you're uncomfortable and you don't feel understood. And that actually leads to a comforting piece and to understanding. That's so good. What I hear you saying is something that we talk about often, whether we're marriage mentoring or talking even on this podcast when people have questions about relationships, because like you kind of already alluded to, like, I thought we were going to pray together and, you know, cuddle at night together or do whatever. Like we're going to do our devotions every morning over a cup of coffee and it's going to be amazing. And maybe that is some couples and that that's great. But I think before you have kids, maybe that's the reality. Yeah, right? And there's like <laughs> a misconception that I think a lot of women really think that they're going to discover who they are once they are married. Sure. But the truth is that there's always good, no matter when you're married, there's always a he, a she, and a we, right? There's always, like you said, like God's working on, on us as individuals. And it's like, he's doing this sharpening amongst stuff and uses that the word synergy. <clears throat> I think it's just a beautiful illustration of like keeping Christ at the forefront of your individual selves because we all have to work out our own salvation, but then keeping Christ at the center of our marriage. So there's always that he, she, and we factor that are playing. And when we find comfort in Christ first, and we do humble ourselves in those uncomfortable moments, like that's when we get to like expose our heart. And then I think we begin to trust each other even more to say like, oh my gosh, yes. Like I like apologizing and recognizing and realize that we all fall short of the glory of God. And we're not this perfect couple that's married and everything's amazing all the time, hundred percent of the time. But uh, I know Josiah has a question that comes in very often when it comes to the he, she, we factor and what people should be looking for and all those different 
messiness of the dating world, desired engagement, wish they were married yesterday. So, well, because so <laughs> many, so many young adults or college students would say that they don't come from a Christian home mm-hmm. or they haven't seen a marriage. Like maybe their parents never got married or they never met their parents. There's just so much brokenness in homes and in the nuclear family of our world and our country. And so I wanted to back up a step. And Christian, I want to know your thoughts on what is a healthy Christian dating relationship look like? Well, I can relate to that, that listener though. I love my parents and they, I can full hardly say they did their very best raising me. They were separated from infancy for me. So I didn't see, you know, what that looks like, at least with my, my parents themselves. And uh, so I got to see kind of what post-marriage or like a dating relationship looked like. And I just had so many questions, right. And even for myself, like, what am I looking for? Um, how do you keep a marriage alive? Like what, what is a good Christian relationship? Is it the people that have been married for 50 plus years or the people that are doing it differently? And I don't know if there's, there's one-off examples or like, here's the formula for how to have a successful Christian relationship. But I think what we can do is, you know, we look at a person by their fruit. We should look at a marriage by the fruit as well. So how are they raising their kids? How do they spend their time together? How do they treat people? What is their home environment like if you're around them? You know, I, I think we could all probably point to someone in our mind of like, oh, that's the couple that inspires me, or that's the family that I went to their house when I was little. And you could just tell when you walked in, it was loving and it was peaceful and it was encouraging. So I think what we could all do, whether you come from a non-believing home or you come from a, a blended family, what are the attributes that either made you feel safe when you were younger, that inspired you, that allowed you to become yourself that actually led to transformation in your life, begin to highlight those as the factors and see, well, how are, how are those instances or those people doing it and what's allowing them to do that? I mean, some of the non-negotiables I think is having faith life together. And we mentioned the, the he, she, we, it's not always just, we're, we're going to all wake up and the one-year-old and, and the dad that has to work soon, we're going to do our devotional by the fire and have our coffee. Like, Yesterday, dad had to go into the office. I spilled my coffee on the rug. Like it, that just was not our reality yesterday morning, but we spent time in the word. You we spend, had re- Oh, my bad. Yeah. You spill hey. more liquids now that you have children. <laughs> I think I'm just always bad with spilling my coffee. <laughs> I, I can admit that. Do you relate? In Do you spill more liquids now? I never, I never spilled a thing when I was just <laughs> And now um, it, our house is a mess a lot of the time. <laughs> only, because, I, only because I feel like I get a new rug. And I'm like, babe, this is why we can't, that's the joke. This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you could need a sippy seal like the kiddos. <laughs> no, I do have like our nice chairs and our nice rug. And then like our not as nice stuff. And thankfully the not as nice stuff has seen more of the liquid spills. But um, yeah, redemption, grace, right? Is that is that where we're going with this? <laughs> I took you off. You were talking amazing things about how... Um, was it reality yesterday? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. The coffee spill. Oh, yeah. So I think if we're saying, okay, a Christian healthy marriage that's going to last for 40 plus years, I mean, they do devotional every single day. It means that they serve every single Sunday. I'm not going to fit that caliber, but I do aspire to have a relationship that's going to outlast uh, the trials, the test of time that's going to create a home where our children feel safe and they they know the word. But 
I think we see the fruit in a way of it's not a formula, but it is something that's functional. Like, and we have regular check-ins. I think that might be another non-negotiable is, is knowing where you are individually and are we achieving what we set out to do? It's so easy to like the new year's resolution, right? Okay. Well, we're going to have a home that, that loves the Lord and goes to church and reaches people and, and changes the world. But how are we doing that? Are we checking in? Are we making sure that our mind, body, and spirit is still aligned with Christ? Are we making sure that um, we're actually walking in our purpose? So um, that would be my very non-answer answer. I don't know if it's what you look for, but I think that's so good. And one of the things that we talk about is just comparison. Maybe this is more of a female thing than a male thing when it comes to relationships. I don't know. I guess both parties can experience it. But when it comes to comparison, we know obviously like it's a thief of the thief of joy. It, it obviously comes in and hinders our ability to experience the goodness of God. So how can we as the listener or even just us experience a freedom from any shame and find contentment in today? Not where we wish we were, but just in Christ today. Like, how do we do that? I mean, we could divulge that question into like three parts and talk about each for 30 minutes, but uh, I am thankful to have the book as a space to journey with that for anyone that feels specifically, okay, comparison, shame, regret. I need to identify those. Um, I think shame is actually the one that underlines both. So many times we go through comparison and not really knowing why, and we think it's just because we don't like the way we look, but it's really because something happening happened regarding our looks or regarding our worth. And it's um, touching on this pain point over and over again. So I would say if you're having these multiple times a week or multiple times a day where you just feel like you were off center with Christ and you're going to comparison or you're going to um, self-sabotaging or um, self-loathing even, I would say, let's take this self-shame test. Can you look yourself in the mirror for, for three to five minutes and just say, okay, God, you whip, you wove me this way. I love this about myself. Um, this is my purpose. This is this is your servant and, and who you're well pleased. Like, if it's so uncomfortable for you to just say this is who I am, or to look at yourself, or anything around how God created you, and you telling yourself, "Oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't believe it. Maybe God wrote that about someone else, but not me." I would say that's a good indicator that there's something that's broken, and it's not a fun word. No one wants to say, "Yes, that's me. I'm broken." Like, Lord, completely redo, um, redo me and heal my heart. But it, I think it's so easy for one small crack to take other things to this whole nother level where if we can just address, Hey, this is something that's hurting. And if I can fix it and heal it, it doesn't mean that I'm a lesser than person. It just means that I'm very in tune with wanting to be whole and complete in Christ. And I like to say that shame is an inability to separate what we've done from who we are. I know that was true for me. I would take one instance and think, gosh, I'm, I'm such a sinner. I'm so dirty. I'm so less than the, the girl that's perfect at church. And it catapulted and had a snowball effect to where I got to the point where I was like, how did I get here? Why am I making these decisions? And I could trace it back to just this one instance and thinking, man, I really did not believe that who God said I was, was true because I listened to the lie that enemy told me of your dirty. God cannot love you from this. You need to turn and hide and, and fix yourself first. I think that's something we hear so common, but really it's, we need to turn to Christ and say, Lord, this is, this is either an instance, or this has been a problem. And I need you to show me how to turn away from it. Let your redemption in and let your transformation heal this, heal the habits, heal the thoughts 
so that we can have a fulfilling whole life. Mm -hmm. I think it's so good. I automatically just go in my mind when you're saying that last part is just like, it goes back to Adam and Eve. When sin entered the scene, they hid. And instead of hiding from our sin, I think we need to let, we need to run to God. We need to, like we talked about confession, we need to confess like, Lord, these are my thoughts about myself. Who do you say I am? And back our lie up with scripture, which is usually very, you know, the opposite of what we've been thinking and really recognizing like, okay, I'm going to say it, I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to continue to say it and pray it until I believe it because something in my spirit is going to break that roots is going to be uprooted, but I need to make sure that I'm filling whatever shame, guilt, lie with something good and godly with truth Mm -hmm. and take that and have that seed deep in my heart versus a secret sin or a deep, you know, wound or even just a traumatic event or whatever it is. Because if we're going to talk about the redemption side, like, oh my gosh, like we can walk out in holiness and wholeness because Christ has made us that way. And we just have to choose it every single day. Sometimes it's moment by moment, thought by thought of rewiring our mind because those memories can become such deep trenches, which are deep seated wounds in our heart and in our memory bank. And when we invite God into the scene, it's like that, that sin is exposed. And it's like when there's sin that is exposed, it can't stand to be in the presence of God. So, and it's not us, it's a sin in us that we need to like, okay, Lord, here it is. And just invite him in on the scene. So that's amazing. Well, and for the person who wants to get past their past, certainly the finished work of Jesus Mm -hmm. on the cross gives us hope, gives us a future, gives us that redemption narrative that we're invited into. Mm -hmm. And I would just be curious on the practical thought life side of things. What are, what are some of your go-to practices of, of applying this faith to our life mm-hmm. for every Christ follower? And, and how can we align our view of ourselves with what God says about us? Yeah. It's so hard when we get to the practical, especially I'm such a deep thinker and feeler that sometimes it is, I don't realize it until I'm in the world when I'm just thinking, oh gosh, I'm terrible. And I'm, I'm, my relationships are crap. I'm not doing good. How, how would anyone be my friend? Why is my, my husband married to me? And I turn it into, well, I'm just going to Stonewall and isolate. So for me, sometimes I have to have the practicals almost ritually because I won't identify it until I'm spir- spiraling and think, okay, God, let's, let's get out of this rhythm. I need you to pick me up here. Set me back on, on your friend firm foundation. The practicals for me is just waking up and one knowing who he is. It's almost like, um, they say, if you go to the gym first thing in the morning, it like sets your, your gaze to knowing, um, like your heartbeat and, and all these endorphins and things just to start off routinely from day one versus if you wake up and you look at your phone, your dopamine is spiked so high that you just think I need, I need, I need. And I think our identity would the same way where if we start with saying, okay, God, this is who you are. This is what your word says. I know that my identity was within these pages. And so this is where I'm going to pull camp from today versus if we do start by thinking, gosh, I'm looking in the mirror and I, I just hate my hair today. And I'm feeling overwhelmed because I know that this work schedule is coming up. I'm going to look at that. And then I go to the word. It just sets us off course. And so I think the practical daily aspect is to first know who am I? I'm a daughter of Christ. What does that look like? It looks like starting my day right. And even if the kids were up late, even if you do have a deadline coming up, like just knowing my first 
are important for a reason because it sets the tune and the tone of how I'm going to think and process. And I know that's not, again, that's not the reality for everyone every day is to have like an hour and quiet time with worship and the coffee that you're not spilling over. But we have to know like, okay, where is, where am I putting my heart? Because where I'm setting it and what I'm tuning the frequency to is what I'm going to hear. I'm not going to hear. It's okay. Have grace for a mess up. Keep going. Apologize. You're going to hear you're such a screw up. How dare you better run away. They don't want anything to do with you. So knowing that I think is, is a leaving as well of, okay, well maybe it's not that I'm a total mess up, but I'm just telling myself the wrong things. I'm not allowing myself to hear the Holy Spirit's instruction and to hear his redemption that's already speaking to me. I don't, I don't think we realize enough how readily available and how active the Holy Spirit is telling us. It's not when you fix yourself, it's when you listen to who I say you are. That's so good. Christian, that's phenomenal. And we as people, I would say vastly underestimate the power of 15 minutes a day. And here's what I mean. We have a friend and he teaches like a piano course 15 minutes a day. You pick up an app like Rosetta Stone. You can learn an Mm -hmm. entire language over the course of a year to two years by 15 minutes a day. If you want to read more books, 15 minutes a day is about a chapter. Working out, you had talked about a second ago, working out the Mm -hmm. power of consistent disciplines, Mm -hmm. like a walk around the block, um, a run, a quick high intensity Mm -hmm. interval training exercise, stretching. I think we vastly underestimate Mm -hmm. the power of 15 minutes a day. And that's just Mm -hmm. so, so good that when we, of course, apply that to the spiritual aspect of our life, Mm -hmm. spending time with God, getting to know somebody 15 minutes a day, quieting the inner voice and allowing God to speak to us 15 minutes a day. And that, and maybe that's the baseline. Maybe that's a minimum. And, um, and maybe it is, you don't go to sleep until you did that quiet time. If you missed it on the front end, just a few of those buffers and bumpers, but when it, now that you have a child of your own and you're Mm -hmm. open to more, what is your hope, Christian, mm. for your kids or the next generation of the Bevere family um, or even the broader next generation when it comes to relationships? What's your hope for the next generation? So much. Um, I think there's been a great, in some ways, it feels like we're completely off kilter with the relationships and with family dynamic, but I think actually, the more we look into it, there's been some great pendulum swings in how we raise our family, the, the intentionality, the prominence and how paramount these relationships actually are and how they play into our friendships, our community. Uh, in the last five years, I think it was more, you need good friends and like your twenties are for doing this and like, don't have kids. I'll slow you down. But I'm seeing at least um, people that within my circle and that I talked to realizing like, man, I, I don't need to settle because family is the most important legacy that I'm tied to. I, I need to have community in a way where I'm not just doing, but I'm also relational. So how we change the world and, and really show the image of Christ is how we love others. That starts, and part of why I wrote this book, it starts with how we see ourselves, not because you know self is the hierarchy and everything falls underneath that, but it's really if we don't get that right, we're at least going to have a tainted view of how we relate to others, be it your, your mom, your cousin, your best friend. So starting with that, understanding how to be healthy individuals so we can have healthy relationships. My hope would be that we don't overwork ourselves to the point where we're giving our family our crumbs 
um, that we don't strain so much to strive for success and what it looks like in this day and age, because it'll probably be different in five to 10 years, not even just in the Christian environment, but just in the society at whole. Um, and that we would just be at peace. We learn how to rest in our identity and know that that is the forefront. Christianity isn't just a religion, but it's a way of life. It's a relationship. And I'm really hopeful that the next generation and, and even people in our world and in our generation right now would just see that, you know, in some ways I don't want to sound anti, anti-USA. I love the American dream, but I think we've heightened that so much that we are at divides politically society that we're like, we we're missing the bigger picture here. And I think it's because we've focused in so microscopically on like all the things that we achieve, right? We're such an, a driven, even country of world uh, the Europe is not seeing this as much as I think that we are here in the States, but we focus in so much on, on what's under our belt, like the hats that we wear that we forget to check in on our heart. Mm-hmm. And if we can tune that and I, Granted, I'm going to admit, I didn't see this until I became a mother. I was like, okay, three months postpartum, whatever, we'll get the the daycare. Now I need to go back to work because I'm really creative and driven. And I love that about myself, but at what expense? And am I heightening that above my call to be a mother? So if we can go on that journey and I'm, I'm prayerful that it happens to everyone in the right timing and in a very vulnerable way, but you just see things differently. The more God aligns it and shows you Hey, I've created a legacy. Genesis, the very first book of the Bible talks about generation and generation and generation. It's your legacy. Let's learn how to do that best. And then I think everything that follows and complements is just a bonus. I love that. Wow. Learning how to live and leave a legacy. And um, Christian, we're coming to the very five and five, which is the five questions in five minutes. Last section of this little episode. Are you ready for the challenge? I am as ready as I, I will be. Okay. Well, this is might be a little curveball right here because I feel like I need to ask you this question. Okay. Question number one, if you could encourage the pastor, how would you encourage them to discuss the topic of singleness, dating, engagement, when it comes to the guilt, the shame of not being married quite yet? How would you encourage them to do it lovingly and tastefully? Because there's a lot of young adults who have not experienced it in a healthy way or a good way. And they have a a tainted view of the church because of what they've heard one time about one Mm -hmm. pastor saying that one thing. How would you encourage our audience today for the listener who's up on stage trying to encourage those young adults? I I realized in this answer, it might form uh, preconceived notions about my background, but I've never really said anything like this before, but I feel the urgency to say it here is to have more women leaders and to have more smaller groups. I think one of the the caveats of, which I fully believe in male leaders and this sense of large gathering, but this is a conversation that we need to have more intimately because it it's not just about dating and relationships. It comes from past trauma for some women. It comes from um, being abused. It comes from your worth. It comes from being even bullied about your looks. We need to have women to women, peer to peer conversations about this. That's why uh, I talk more overarching ideas on the Dear Future Husband podcast, but in the book, I'm like, let's talk about if you have been taken advantage of, let's talk about if you were told that you weren't beautiful enough, because these are the things that are actually going to hinder our relationships that 
you know, a full credit, Josiah, you couldn't say that from a stage to 5,000 individuals and like speak to this one girl's heart. Like I, my life has been transformed in small groups with women that could look at me and say, I know what that feels like. And I know I have a testimony to overcome that. I think we need to have that heightened more. Um, and that alone, just the power of testimony, a, a married couple. I can only imagine what it's like for you two to speak to um, freshman girls and freshman guys and, and senior guys, and not just say, Hey, you know, go have fun and serve Jesus, but say pornography is going to rob you say relationships and family is worth, um, all of your investment, right? So testimony, peer to peer relationships, um, female to female dynamic. I think those are going to be very helpful for, for us going forward. That's amazing. It's phenomenal. And I'm reminded of uh, a teenage girl who went to a youth convention, thousands of young people. And for the first time, I bet she was 15, 16, first time in her life, she saw a female speaker. And I don't know if, if, she, if she experienced a call to ministry or just kind of thought, huh, I never considered that God could use me in that way before. It, 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 it kind of obliterated her radar. preconceived notions. And so, so I think that answer was just spot on, mm -hmm. spot on. Um, if you could ask us, Christian, anything, any one question that Mike mm -hmm. and I, this, this is the curveball to us, keeps us on our toes because we never know what's coming. What would you want to know today? <laughs> Ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Um, I would want to know what's the biggest thing that could have driven a wedge between your marriage that actually brought you closer. You want to go? Do you have something? Man, that's a great question. That's a phenomenal question. I think when we were dating, one of the things that Mike mm -hmm. asked me that I had not given a lot of thought to. But she just asked me, hey, we're dating. And, and we were having those future conversations in that season. But she asked me, she goes, is there anything that you need to achieve, accomplish, or do before we would get married so that you wouldn't resent me or a future spouse if later. I became your future spouse later? And I thought, man, that's that's like a really good question. Oh, Micah. <laughs> and, and I think, um, I think I was in like my last semester or two of grad school, um, working on a capstone project, things like that. And I was like, um, can't think of much, you know, like I, I want to finish this degree. And I look back now and I'm like, my word, that was before we were married, before we had kids, mm -hmm. what a great time to, uh, you know, further my education. But I think that just the forethought that Micah had to ask that question, because that question in reverse is like, how many married couples resent their spouse mm. now? Because they never thought to think of that. Well, I think because it taps into the dreams. Like if you want to go travel Europe for a month, well then go do it. Like, you know what I mean? So that was behind the question behind the question was essentially getting at that. So and I thought of that, like Europe or something. And I was like, no, I don't really need to go backpacking by myself. I would rather save the money and Go on a honeymoon with you, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. Oh man. I think one thing for me, um, even when we were dating kind of, I don't know why I, I kind of park it here. I knew as a single female that I was called to ministry, to be a pastor, to reach my generation and generations to come specifically the women, um, 
And for me, I think the the make it or break it point was when I looked at Josiah, I said, if, if I'm too much or my personality is too much for you and you do not believe in women in leadership, women leading, and I'm just overbearing, like I want to be a wife that comes alongside you. Um, but mm-hmm. also I don't want to be in your shadow. I want to be holding hands and like linking arms with you and running forward with Christ. And if my call is too much for you, then you need to call this off right now. So I think even that conversation that we had while we were dating, I'm saying like, I know that I'm called to this because, because I went to a Christian school and I've seen too many women get to their junior year, get engaged and like forfeit the calling of Jesus for that marriage. And then two years later, they're divorced and they didn't finish school and they lost a marriage in the process that they thought that this was the thing. And I was like, I, I, I told myself, Lord, I do not want to be one of those women. And I know that I know that I know that you call me to do this. And if this is too much for any man, keep those men away from me and bring the one that you have. So when I asked Josiah that question in my head and mind, that was a make it or break it. Cause I'm like, he believes in women in ministry. Absolutely. But I go, if I'm personally too much for you and you feel like I'm going to push you off the road, or you want me to sit in the, uh, the passenger seat and just be that wife. That's like, where are we going? I don't really know. Like, no, I want the map of saying like, this is where God's calling us. And I'm here to like serve God's vision with you hand in hand, arm in arm to l- truly live and leave a legacy. So I don't think that was a major fighting point, but that was a conversation we did have that most people don't have until they get in marriage. And they're like, yeah. I think like we forfeited everything for each other and realize no, neither of us are happy. So yeah. wow. That's a phenomenal question. We've never been asked that. That is deep. Oh, oh, here we go. So, so back question to three. you. Yeah. Question three. What is the best advice you've ever received? This is, um, well, one, I just have such, I'm so thankful. I have incredible people around me. So it's hard to like pick up like, this is the one. Um, but goodness, let me think real fast. Mm. I quote a Bible verse. Like, would that be the right thing? Totally. <laughs> Paul says, and um, you know, this probably wouldn't be what I say, but coming off of what you just said, Micah, it just it resonates. So maybe it's actually advice for someone else. But when I was in college and I was at the point where I could have settled, I had a mentor that um, was very much doing life with me, and I was, I was graduating. The person I date, was dating wasn't. And I was at her house and just telling her like, okay, so I could do this and I could do that. And this is where this person's at. So maybe if I just like wait around, kind of like what you're saying, let him figure it out. And she just stopped me point blank. And she said, show me your hand. And I was like, I'm I'm talking. What are you, what are you doing? Here's my hand. And she said, do you have a ring on your finger? And I realized I was like, no. And then she said, don't you dare change your plans for what could be hypothetical for some guy that you're not in commitment with yet. And I think so often when we think of settling, we think of it's putting us on a pedestal. Like we're so far ahead of this person. How dare we settle for someone beneath us? But there's, again, marriage is so intricate in my mind that like, there's a reason Micah and Josiah, you're connected and it's not, you know, Micah and my husband, um, not just because I would fight you for him, but because like, there's such an alignment. I know. Yeah. Right. You compliment each other. And so when it comes to settling, don't just think, well, there's this guy and I have to figure out the plan. And like, 
I'll get married to him and then either I'll be complete or then we'll figure everything out. Like, no, there is something that's already on your life and on your heart Mm -hmm. that you come and strive together. And you need to say, I'm giving my yes to this person because they've also given their yes to me. They know that though things change and we figure it out as we go, right? That I want to make that clear right now. You're not going to say, hi, I'm Christian. And this is what I'm going to do. And in 2023, this is what we're going to be like, right. Say, like, this is, these are the passions. This is who I am. My desires, my passion, my will. Does that complement where you're going? Are we not going to hijack each other or be unable to challenge each other and call each other forward? There's so many things that on our first date, my husband looked at me and said, well, these are dreams that I had. And these are passions. Like, are you game? Kind of what you did. Are you game for that? And in so many ways, I didn't know how I would be able to compliment him. I didn't know what our life would look like or where we'd be, but I knew I was on board to see him succeed in what he was called to do in so many ways that I feel like through God's continual sharpening and through us growing together, I have been able to do that where I thought, man, can I really be what this guy needs? And it's just been us sharpening each other and calling the gold out of each other because we are committed to those paths that ultimately is the greater path. Mm-hmm. Of, of us as a couple so that is some good advice <laughs> great advice i'm glad you had that mentor in your life to say that to you well, <laughs> oh, me too i told her recently too i was like thank you for not just being nice to me <laughs> yes right man oh, no. I, I think of how you know the listeners go in places in their life and you are as well your next road trip where are you going and <laughs> what snack are you bringing i love that you caught me off guard there i was like oh okay <laughs> we do um a road trip often that's about seven hours and i feel like we need a a two-pack deal where we start with something salty and then towards the end of the night we have like our sweet snack um our salty addictions late um we're working on it we haven't had it in a couple days so go us but it's the trader joe's talkies i think they're like the chili lime so you feel better about them but they're just like these chili lime, like spicy tortilla rolled chips. Uh, and then my sweet tooth is usually chocolate, but we're on a road trip. It's like the sour gummy worms and like anything sour. I'm like, yes. Or the rips. Have you had the rips yet? Uh-uh. No. Okay. They're probably terrible for you, but they're sour and they're like green and red. Very festive for the holidays coming up. But um, that's what I get. I love that. It's fun. Trader Joe's just came to town. They built one not far from us. Yeah. So congratulations. You feel healthier, even though it probably isn't healthier. Just the name, you're like, oh, Trader Joe's. Woo, we're healthy now. There's some things. Oh, gosh. So good. All right. Here's the last and final question. If you could leave the listener with one word of encouragement today, what would you want to share with them? One thing what what comes to my mind is just the reminder that where you are today or the problems of today are not where you end up. Like life is such a journey in the matter of some days there'll be two steps forward, one step back. The mindset is to keep going. Um Again, I'm I'm a passionate, creative person. So sometimes discipline or the, the long picture is hard for me. So I have to continually motivate myself of, of what in my best times, what in my best yeses was leading me. And how do I continue that even when, you know, the spiritual side of it, we're not feeling God's presence or we're not feeling like we're doing a good job. 
kind of the David mentality of like, speak to my soul, remind myself, write the vision, make it clear, keep um, the end goal ahead. And even when, I mean, in our world right now, we're going through tumultuous times. We're seeing some of the worst uh, in humanity, reminding, remembering ourselves that God is in control, that people are human, but there is the ability for God to work miracles. There is the ability for God to um, have more in store in someone than we can even see. So being so prayerfully led where we are reminded I'm on this journey with Christ. And so is everyone else. How can I continue this path of, um, I think as Eugene Peterson talked about or coined it as I'm butchering it, but like a long obedience in the right direction. Like that's my mentality. If we're going to end well, it's like, okay, even the days I feel like I'm stumbling, how do I keep going? Even the days that I don't feel it, how do I keep going and remembering, um, just like God's been working on redemption for centuries and, and for decades. So he can still do that in my life. Um, I'm not the unicorn. I am a continuation of his goodness on display. And so are the people around me. So, um, especially in hard times, like let's keep that at the forefront of miracles are still happening. He's still good. He's still on the throne. Amen. You couldn't have said it better. And Christian, we are so thrilled to have you. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys. And you can find out more about Christian when you connect with us on our website, or you can go to Young Adults Today podcast. And also check out her podcast called Dear Future Husband, as well as her latest book right here, Break Up With What Broke You. This is the Young Adults Today podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone you know. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.